Prism Break by Richard C. Mills Narrated by Davis Harrison The clock on the wall said 3.58 a.m. The little hands pointing accusingly at the numbers on the analog face as if to announce that normal, sane people were usually asleep at this hour. Well, I was by no means normal, and starting to doubt if I had ever really been sane. I walked into the kitchen and opened one of the cabinet doors, withdrawing a small bottle of sleeping medication. I was tired. Tired of everything. My life was a wreck, and nobody cared. Not even me. I was young when the first signs of depression showed up, and I didn't know what to do, so I faked it. I hoped that no one would notice that anything was wrong or treat me any different. All the while, praying and believing that if I just ignored my problems, they would go away. But living a lie is hard, and my inaction just caused the sorrow to dig its roots deeper into my being. As time wore on, I became more and more detached from everything, until it finally overwhelmed me and the real feelings and issues spilled out like blood. I suppose that's the point where people would normally get concerned, except in my case, even with my bleeding soul exposed and dying, nobody bothered to help. I mean, they'd talk, but they'd never listen. They'd ask, but they wouldn't really care. As long as I was still there to help them with their jobs and work towards their dreams, they were content. <laughs> and, and when everything was all said and done, they were perfectly happy to move on with their lives and cast me off once again to float hopelessly through mine. Well, that was about to change. I had given it a lot of thought and I was prepared to take back the ship's wheel and sail myself right out of it all for good. It wasn't that I was angry. Not anymore. I was just tired, hurting, and ready to give up. So when I began thinking about killing myself, things like hangings and self-mutilations were quickly ruled out. It wasn't about showing how hurt I was or making a statement. I didn't even write a note. I just wanted something quick, easy, and painless. God knows I'd already had more than my fair share of pain. I just wanted out. I emptied the bottle into my hand and stared at the pills. Twenty-eight little green and white capsules. Individually, they promised a more restful night's sleep. But all piled together in the palm of my hand, they whispered of something much, much more. I took them two at a time, chasing each pair down with a mouthful of warm tea. When there were no more pills, I set the glass aside and walked over to my bed, the one on which I had cried myself to sleep so many times. I laid down and folded my arms across my body, and then stared up at the ceiling, thinking. I had long contemplated the existence of an afterlife churning all the ideas and possibilities around in my mind. Was there really a heaven or hell, or some other place? 
I did much think so. But I couldn't help but think that anything would still be a step up from the misery of what I was going through. I glanced again at the judgmental clock, and supposed I would find out shortly. That's when the realization finally hit me. This was it. I had finally done it. It would all be over soon, and there would be no going back. I could have easily said that I had no regrets about anything, but that would have been a lie. The truth was, regret had been the only emotion I ever remembered feeling. It was there when I was growing up and had no one else to talk to. It was there when I failed to tell the girl I loved that I did love her. And it was there when I stood silently by as she fell in love with and married someone else. It was there when I gave up my dream of writing music to fit with what society wanted and expected me to become. It was my only real friend, and now, as it returned to give its final farewell, I embraced it. My eyelids grew heavy, and the weariness consumed me. The tendrils of sleep closing gently around my consciousness. I didn't fight it. I was tired of fighting, tired of losing. I closed my eyes and my breathing slowed. This was the end, and it was about time. My feet tread aimlessly across the ashy gray ground, the constant plodding serving as my only measure of the passing of time. I took a few more steps into the alien unknown, looking to the purple sky above for some form of direction, anything that would help right my sinking vessel. I had discovered early on that I left no footprints, so not only did I have no idea of where I was, the crusty soil refused to even let me know where I had been. I was truly, hopelessly lost. In desperation, I looked again to my surroundings for guidance hoping to glean something useful out of the environment around me. But so far, it had done nothing but baffle and mock me. There were no stars that I could see, and the majority of the purple sky was covered by ominous black clouds that hung menacingly overhead. As I looked closer though, and as the clouds slowly moved and morphed, I could see that the sky was faceted, like the faces on a diamond. There were also two large moons, intent on playing hide-and-seek with me. One a silvery white, the other orange, like fire. Their small amount of light split and reflected weirdly off the many edges of the fractured sky whenever the dark clouds permitted. In fact, as I turned my attention to the landscape around me, I could see much of this world had a crystalline appearance. The ground though devoid of any kind of plant life, was not barren, and sprinkled throughout were various sized crystals and gemstones, all springing up from the hard, rocky surface to fill the void left by the missing vegetation. Some even bore the shape and appearance of trees and other small bushes. It had a sort of beauty to it, and could have almost been described as tranquil. But something was missing. Everything around was so lifeless and still, 
There was no breeze, no noise, nothing. Everything was deathly silent. I guess the way it was meant to be. I stood there for a small eternity with no way to measure time and no way to know for certain if it even existed in a place like this at all. It seemed I had been there forever already. There wasn't even a moment where I could definitively say that I woke up or arrived. No point that I could trace back to is the beginning. I was just there, wherever that was. Hello there! I heard a voice call out from behind me, scaring me half to, well, I don't know. I spun around and saw a man, or rather, the outline of a man, coming towards me. It was a ghostly figure, a red translucent silhouette that stood out from his surroundings the way a lighthouse does in a storm. Unexpected, but no less desirable. He approached quickly, his gait one of excitement and not hostility. Hello there, stranger, he said again when he got close enough. You look a tad lost. His lips contorted into a spectral smile. I... I am lost, I answered, looking again at the sky. In more ways than one. He reached out and touched my shoulder with his glowing hand. Ah, don't feel bad, son. We've all been in your place. We've all had to take our first steps. So fire away any questions you have and I'll do my best. Where are we? Huh. Straight to business, eh? I like that. This is the land of Prism. Uh, now, that's not its real name, obviously. That's just what we call it. Uh, you see, it, it's sort of a play on words. Because this is an afterlife, so we can't leave here kind of like a prison. But it also has all these crystals and different colors around everywhere, so, you know, <laughs> it's Prism. <laughs> Quite clever, I think. I didn't, but I kept it to myself. So, this is the afterlife? It's not exactly what I was expecting. I'm afraid it never is. Don't worry, though. You'll get used to it. He chuckled. You'll have to. When he saw he was the only one smiling, he quickly amended. I'm sorry. I guess my humor's always been a little hit or miss. And now that I'm surrounded by depressed dead people, it tends to miss far more often than not. His eyes grew wide in alarm as he realized what he'd said. But not, not that I meant to infer that... Then he gave up all attempts and wisely clamped his mouth shut to prevent any further damage. You can call me Kip, he finally managed after a short while. Kip, is it short for something or is it just a nickname? The man had just opened his mouth to begin speaking again, but my question caught him off guard. He stopped, and after a moment, exhaled deeply. And this time, it was his turn to search the fraction heavens for an answer. You know, he said finally, I don't remember. His translucent gaze scraped slowly across the ground before returning to me with a devilish twinkle. But I can assure you, it was ingenious. Neither of us spoke and his words hung in the air, quickly losing any semblance of comedy they were intended to possess. Well, he said finally, and a bit more somberly, I guess I should take you back then. Back? I asked, not liking the sound of it. Back where? To see Void, 
I really didn't like the sound of that. And what if I don't want to go? Then don't. I can't force you to come, he replied evenly. You're free to wander the wilderness for as long as you like, but no one can keep away forever. And sooner or later, you'll get tired of roaming for eternity. When that happens, he pointed to a small mountain in the distance, the only visible landmark, head towards Void's crown. With that, he turned and started walking away. I watched him go, and then realized he was right. So, reluctantly, and with a few silent curses, I followed. Silence never bothered me. I never viewed it as awkward or unnerving. I never felt out of place in its still embrace. I usually considered it a blessed respite. When people that pretended they knew me ran out of things to say and realized that they actually didn't know or care enough about me to continue the conversation. I would watch the silence eat away at them until they could stand it no more. And then, to my relief, they would creatively try and find a way out. Me? I preferred the silence. I didn't need the air filled with meaningless words just to feel comfortable. I could enjoy it as it was. Pure, unadulterated emptiness. Kip, on the other hand, was not one of those people. I could see the silence working on him, tensing his shoulders, straining his face and arms, his mind frantically churning, looking for a way to break the stillness, some topic we could engage in for no other reason than to keep the enveloping stillness away. So, he asked finally, his voice like a chisel striking marble, how'd you do it? That question caught me a little off guard. Do what? What? You know, kill yourself. I stopped, well, in my tracks, and turned to stare at him. What? What are you talking about? Kip took another step before realizing I had stopped, and then turned back to face me. It's alright. We've all done it. That's the only way you get to the prison. You'll get no judgment or condemnation from us. That, that took me a moment to digest. You mean, this place is only for the people who committed suicide? Aye, that's why our souls are all red. Because we took our own lives. He pointed at my chest. I looked down and discovered that my clothes and skin were gone, leaving nothing but a red translucent silhouette, just like his. How had I not noticed that before? I slowly brought my arm up to my face, examining it. The red outline flexed and shimmered, but remained completely transparent. We resumed walking, but my thoughts quickly outpaced my feet. It wasn't long before Kip again broke the silence. I'll tell you straight, I hung myself. When my wife and kids walked out on me, I couldn't find a reason to live anymore. I couldn't pick up all the pieces and move on. I wasn't sure what I was even supposed to say to that. Medication overdose, I finally confessed. Hmm, effective. Wish I'd thought about that. Would've made things a whole lot less painful. He paused, no doubt reliving an old memory. 
Ah, well. It doesn't matter much now. I suppose the pain's all gone anyway. We kept walking, not missing a step. Kip chatting incessantly in an effort to ward off the silence. But it didn't take more than one look into the ghostly man's eyes to know that what he'd said was far from true. I don't know why I hadn't expected it, but I wasn't prepared for the sight that Kip and I witnessed next. As we had kept walking, the mountain in the distance had slowly gotten closer, until at last we crested the final hill and found ourselves face to face with a giant. That's when I saw it. Wrapped around the base of the mountain and stretching as far as the eye could see was a city, an immense spectral metropolis. Many of the buildings had outgrown the valley below and wandered their way up some of the mountain's gentler inclines, no doubt looking for identity and solitude away from the endless city below. The stone structures also seemed to emanate a pale, ethereal glow, and enveloped in the shadow of the looming mountain, it gave the entire city a ghostly visage. We made our way closer and began to encounter other inhabitants of the prism scattered here and there. They paid us no mind, giving at most a casual glance in passing. As we reached the city itself, however, the number of souls we saw grew drastically, and we found ourselves surrounded by more than just a multitude of glowing buildings. Everywhere around us, blood-red souls were walking, sitting, and even laying down in and around the ashen walkways. Some conversed amongst themselves, or wandered the crowded streets while others merely stared up at the sky or some other far-off object, their eyes distant and lifeless. Despondency hung thick like a cloud over the place, pervasive and inconsolable. It inhabited every crevice in the glowing stones, every archway and opening, and was written on every face we passed. The city really was dead and everybody knew it. I felt an old familiar sadness returning, and the feelings and pain that I thought would die when I did now clawed their way back to life. Was this all that was in store for me? Was all the agony and hopelessness of life merely a foretaste of a timeless, everlasting misery? There would be no fighting it and no running either. Your only choice was to succumb and let it tear you apart over and over forever. Kip, I asked, trying to mask the tremble in my voice. Who's Void? He is the master of this land, Kip replied. I looked around at all the shimmering spirits around us, wondering how they managed to pick a single leader over all these people. Was he a suicide victim too? Oh, no, no, Kip almost chuckled. He's something much greater. A spirit like you've never seen. But what was he? Where did he come from? Your guess is as good as mine. As far as anyone I've talked to knows, he's always been here. Unending. All-powerful. Probably the closest thing I could liken him to would be a god. 
I never believed in God, I said, my voice marked with the faintest twinge of regret. In truth, I would have loved to believe in God. But in all my years of sorrow, nobody had ever done anything to help ease the pain. Least of all, a divine being. Kip turned and faced me. And did you believe in an afterlife? I was silent. I didn't believe in God either, he continued, then pointed to the mountain that was now glaring down at us. But when you come back out, I think you'll find that you've changed your mind. As soon as I stepped foot into the mountain's interior, I understood why they called him Void. I felt no presence, only a strange sort of absence, like a vacuum had sucked out all matter in space, leaving nothing but nothingness behind. It was pitch black, and I couldn't see or feel anything. I couldn't even tell if I was still standing on solid ground or if that too had succumbed to the everlasting emptiness. This place bore its namesake well. A small current of cold air broke through the stagnant chamber and slithered over my body. It wrapped itself around me, seeming to leech any life or warmth I still possessed. And I knew then that despite the isolation I felt, I wasn't alone. Greetings, human. A voice announced from the depths of the black absence the noise shattering the stillness yet somehow still preserving it. Welcome to my kingdom. I couldn't respond. My soul was quaking, crippled with fear and awe. All I could do was stare into the darkness. Are, are you Void? A low rumble reverberated through the chamber as Void chuckled. Yes, that is what some call me. I am the guardian of the souls that surrendered, the lord of the life eaters, the god of those that gave up hope, and you are in my domain, which means you are mine. Though I could see nothing, somewhere in the overwhelming blackness, I felt our eyes meet and I couldn't stop the trembles from racking my body. He was engulfing, and all-encompassing. I felt tiny in comparison, like a minuscule speck forced to comprehend the universe. It was hard to focus, hard to think, hard to do anything but stare dumbly. I felt as though I was expected to reply, but no words came to mind. So I said nothing, and for the first time in a long time, under the suffocating weight of Void's gaze, the silence became insufferable. I see you are a red, Void said again, mercifully changing the topic. That's good. Tell me, do you know what that means? That... that, that I committed suicide. And what? was the reason for taking your life. Why did you surrender? Faced with the threat of another prolonged silence if I didn't respond, 
I focused all my attention on trying to speak. I... I guess I felt used. Like nobody cared about me outside of what I could do for them. I wanted to rest. Well, you are free from that here. You are free from all of it. I have also granted my people the freedom to do and be whatever they like, so long as it doesn't infringe on any of the other souls' same privilege. I'm not sure if he meant his words to be comforting, but I certainly derive no feelings of safety from them. Regardless, the emptiness seemed to want some expression of gratitude. So again, at the risk of confronting my once-beloved silence, I obliged. Go now, Void said at last. Fulfill your heart's desire. Go and rest. The wisps of cool air retreated back into the nothingness before me, announcing that my audience was over. I turned, slowly, and with a few queasy steps, withdrew myself from the face of the abyss. I re-emerged from the desolate mountain and looked around, my eyes readjusting to the dark purple hues. Kip was nowhere in sight. With legs still shaking, I stumbled off in search of him never going too far in one direction in case Kip happened to be waiting in one of the others. But as I circled around for the second time, without a trace of his whereabouts, I was forced to take into account that he had gone somewhere else entirely. Where had he gone? Had he abandoned me? And why? It would take all of eternity to search the city door by door, which meant if I had any hope of finding him, I'd have to ask the dead. The first soul I found didn't know Kip. The second knew who he was, but didn't know where. And the third and fourth souls ignored me completely. I began wandering back the way we'd came, searching for anyone who knew where he'd gone. Finally, I found one who pointed me in the right direction. As I entered the described building, I saw a familiar spectral face sitting in the far corner focused intently on something in his hands. When he saw me approaching, he set the object down behind him and forced a grin. Well, it looks like you found me. What were you holding? I asked. Oh, this. He brought the object back out. It was a small white crystal, and I watched as his translucent hands slowly turned it this way and that, letting the light catch and reflect across its rough faces. It's just something that helps me forget. Forget what? He paused a brief second and gazed down at the small, palm-sized stone. Everything. Then he quickly changed the subject. So, uh, what did you think of Void? Did you change your mind? That's one of the reasons I came to find you. I, I had a question. I'm afraid I don't have time for it. I have to go back to the Outlands for other newcomers. He set the crystal down again but made no move to get up. They can wait, I said firmly. It's not like you're on a time schedule. Kip smiled faintly before looking back at me. 
Fine. Go ahead. When I spoke to Void, he called me a red. I, I thought we'd been over this. That's what you are. All the souls here are called reds. It's because we took our own... I know, I interrupted. You told me. It's just that that was the second time I've been called that. Both you and Void have used that term. But if everyone here is a red, why differentiate at all? Kip said nothing. So I, I guess my question is, do souls have other colors besides red? I'm not allowed to talk about it. Talk about what, Kip? Who won't let you? We're already in the afterlife. It's not like it's a matter of life and death. I caught the faintest glimpse of terror at the corners of Kip's eyes. Void wouldn't like it. Why not? I asked, my curiosity growing. He picked the crystal back up and began rubbing it again. But this time it looked more like nervous fidgeting than the gentle caressing of before. Every soul I've ever encountered has committed suicide, alright? Is that enough? He stood up and took a few steps towards the door. I need to go. My job is just to take new souls to Void, not to babysit them for the rest of eternity. What, so you're just gonna leave me alone? Look at this place! He turned to face me and spread his arms out, his gesture meaning to encompass the world. Everyone here is alone. Why should you be any different? Then why do you do it? Why do you go out there and pretend to be friendly when you don't actually mean it? I, I had hoped in the afterlife people would at least be sincere. My words came out harsher than I'd meant, but I didn't regret them. So that I can stay sane, Kip said, equally matching my ferocity. Because it's one of the only things here that gives me the faintest inkling of purpose. Feelings of anger welled up as I realized I'd been played. So you just used me for your own benefit. Void promised that wouldn't happen to me anymore. And Void told me that I wouldn't have to get attached to anyone again. There was a silence as both of us stared unflinching, never breaking eye contact. But I had the advantage. I knew Kip's weakness. And as the silence stretched on, his lip began to tremble. Finally, he could take it no more. His eyes dropped, and the built-up pressure exploded, leaving him weak and deflated. Do you know why I lost my family? He asked finally. Because I couldn't provide enough. I couldn't be what they needed me to be. I felt like a failure. And everyone told me I was a failure. And then, when I'd come home and see my family neglected and hurting, I'd just get so mad. And I, I don't know why i take it out on them. But I couldn't stop. I wasn't in control. Or so I told myself. Eventually, they just up and left. I can't blame them for it. I would have done the same thing. But it made me realize what a waste of a life I was. So he took my anger out on me for once. He paused and swallowed hard. It's funny how it's only after you lose something that you realize how much you loved it. 
I did everything I could to forget about my problems, and now, well, I'd give anything just to have him back. He collapsed to the floor, defeated. Suddenly, I understood Kip completely for who he was. A pathetic being caught between the crushing weight of desperately needing people to be happy and being constantly afraid of getting too close. I felt a feeling I hadn't remembered feeling in a long time. It wasn't compassion, at least not fully, but pity, maybe. I felt sorry for the tragedy Kip had become. I reached out my hand towards him, but Kip shied away from my touch. Don't. I don't want your sympathy. I just want to be left alone. Please, I implored. Tell me the truth. Kip looked at me again, wearily and I could see the pain in his eyes. Only if you promise to leave me alone and swear not to tell Void you heard this from me. I did as he asked, and Kip took a deep breath. I saw a white soul once. Only time I ever saw one that wasn't red. He was also the only one that ever refused to let me take him to Void. So I left him out there, in the barrens. Next I heard, he'd made it to town himself, and souls were going missing. When Void heard about it, he wasn't happy, not about losing some of his subjects. So he locked up the White Soul, and that's the last time anyone's ever seen him. I let the story fully wash over me. And where is he now? Still locked up, as far as I know. Somewhere in the mountain, where Void can keep an eye on him. Why? I want to see him. Kip's eyes grew wide with fright. No! Void will find you, and he will not be pleased. Please, let it alone. Make your peace with this place. There's no escaping it. What else am I supposed to do? Nothing! Kip almost yelled. Can't you understand? You're not supposed to do anything. He swallowed hard, and then picked up his little white crystal and handed it to me. Here. Take this. You obviously need it more than I do. Take it and forget. I wrapped my hand around the crystal, trapping it in a closed fist. Then, without a word, I turned and left. I never fully grasped how hard waiting could be in a place where time doesn't exist. How does one bide their time when there is none? Where every second could be a millennia, where infinity could pass with a snap of the fingers. All the waiting, however, had given me time to think. Why was I doing this? Why risk the wrath of Void just to talk to someone? Why couldn't I let the crystal work its magic and let this go? The honest answer was, I didn't know. But something deep inside of me just stubbornly refused to drop it. I had waited for Kip to venture back outside the city, and now I waited for his return. He was going to help me, whether he knew it or not. I jumped to my feet as a small handful of souls wandered aimlessly across the street. When I saw that Kip was not among them, 
I settled back down and continued my endless vigil. At last, I saw them, marching up towards the mountain's shadow. He had two new souls with him this time, and as Kip chatted incessantly, I could see them both turning this way and that, taking in the dismal city for the first time. Hopefully, the audience of two would help. I had positioned myself beside a nearby building to the left of the great entrance, and as Kip approached the mountain's foot with the two new souls in tow, I began to make my way towards it as well. I was measuring the distance. Kip stopped and watched as the two souls tentatively climbed the steps of the small dais before turning and walking away. I quickened my pace, knowing that my only obstacle now was making it inside the door in time. The two souls disappeared into the black interior, and I broke into a sprint, covering the rest of the ground between me and the great doorway. As I stepped foot into the darkness within, I turned to make sure I hadn't been spotted. Kip, too, had turned around for something, and for the briefest of moments before the great mountain door swung shut, our eyes met, and I saw the wonder and admiration on his face. The oppressive darkness enveloped me once again, smothering my very life force. Up ahead, I could just make out the faint red outlines of the new souls as they stood, cowering in fear at the intense blackness. Hopefully, they would provide enough of a distraction for me to find what I was looking for. Something below me caught my eye. I looked down at my still-clenched hand and saw that Kip's crystal was glowing dimly. I loosened my grip and watched as the rock heroically struggled against the overbearing darkness, managing to provide the faintest of lights. I moved the crystal over to the wall, and it illuminated just enough to see the solid crust of the mountain's interior. Now I could at least see if there was a doorway to another chamber. I placed my hand on the outside wall, and with a deep breath, I slowly began walking. I would follow that wall until I either found what I was looking for, or until someone found me. And he was searching. At times, I could feel the icy tendrils that licked the air in search of anything that encroached upon the great emptiness. I tried to keep moving, never stopping long enough for the cold wisps to find me. As I came full circle with no sign of another chamber or entranceway, I paused and listened to the conversation taking place. Compared to these souls, I realized I had handled myself quite well. They were shaking and blubbering, their answers barely cohesive. Hoping I still had time, I worked my way around the perimeter again, looking for any crevice or hole that could house him. But there was nothing. This chamber was the only one. Where else could he be? Where would one hide a light? I gazed into the blackness in front of me and saw the answer shrouded by nothingness. If you had to hide a light, you would surround it in a darkness so oppressive, a blackness so deep that no one even knew such a light existed. You would hide it in a void. With step after trembling step, I crept through the emptiness 
towards the center of the chamber, towards the source of the great vacuum. The two new souls still seemed to be occupying Void's attention, but I wasn't sure how long it would last. Would Void be able to feel my presence? Would I be able to penetrate the innermost veils of his being without his notice? I took another tentative step, never knowing if my next footfall would pierce the emptiness and send me careening off into the abyss. The absence became stronger, consuming everything until only a cold deadness remained. This place felt familiar. I stopped and turned around, staring at the blackness behind me. There was no coming back from this. I was taking the pills again, each step forward solidifying my fate. I felt the regrets returning. I could never get back what I'd left, but it was too late, and there was nowhere else for me to go but forward. I was committing suicide once more, and everything was the same. The only difference was that this time, I knew that where I was going would be worse than what I was leaving. This time, I knew what I was doing. I turned back around and took another step as darkness closed around me, whispering its sweet lies and empty promises. And that's when I saw it. There, amidst the complete and utter blackness of Void's very core, I saw a distant white speck. I inched my way closer, and it was a solid eternity before it grew bigger, but it did grow. And that gave me the resolve and willpower to continue on. At last, I came close enough to make out the shape of the soul, completely white, whose very presence kept the impending darkness at bay. Hello? I called out quickening my steps until I got within speaking range. The soul jumped and turned around to face me, his white eyes wide with shock. Who are you? I... I stammered, trying to think of a response. I'm just a red. A simple red does not venture down into the bowels of void. What is it you're seeking? I, I don't really know, I replied honestly. Searching for a reason, the white soul smiled. I think I do. Your... He was cut off as the entire chamber shook violently, the very blackness pulsing and reverberating as deafening words punctured the emptiness. Did you think you could hide from me? Did you think you could pass through my very essence without my knowledge? The sound drove both of us to our knees, clutching at our ears as the voice tore through our souls. I felt icy wisps grab hold of my arms, feet, and neck, restraining me and spreading their intense chill throughout my spirit. The white soul had made it back to his feet and was struggling against the bonds. Void ignored the white soul and turned his wrathful gaze upon me. You... Do you think that just because you're already dead, I can't enforce my rules. My reds should know better than anyone. There are many things worse than death. The wisps that had seized me began slowly pulling me away from the white soul and back into the black abyss. Let's start by imagining your family. Heartbroken that you've killed yourself. 
suffering from the guilt that you've caused them to feel. Watch as the sadness tears them up as well, having to live with the fact that you've killed yourself. No! The white soul called out. The tendrils ceased their movement, and I watched as the white soul, tiny and unimportant, stood unwavering against the endless void, fighting back the darkness in my defense. Someone was standing up for me, focusing on my best interest without anything in exchange and with no thought for their own well-being. This one is different. He is not yours, the soul said with authority. He's in my realm. He is a red. He belongs to me. He has not given up completely. The fact that he stands here now shows that he has not lost his purpose. And that means that you cannot take him. Void snarled. Who are you to tell me who is mine? I am a servant of God. I am the only God that will ever rule this place. For what fellowship hath light with darkness? The prisoner turned his attention to his captor. Then why am I locked up here? Are we not fellowshipping? Or are you just afraid of me? I fear smile across the lips of the white soul. That's a lie. You can hide in your own darkness and pretend all you want, but I know, I know who you fear. A long silence filled the emptiness as the tendrils loosened their grip, retightening only a moment later as the stillness was broken by a noise I had come to hate. The low rumble of Void's laugh. Do you stared unflinchingly into the pervasive shadows. His words slow, but deliberate and forceful. I'm here because I doubted, because I lost sight of the truth and fell into the ocean of despair. But my God does not abandon me, and even when I make mistakes, he still uses them for a purpose. Void roared in fury, and the entire chasm shook. I heard a large cracking sound, and moments later a large chunk of the mountain's wall crashed into the ground, shattering into countless pieces. Void roared again, but the white soul ignored him, and turned again towards me, his eyes filled with white fire. Listen to me, and know that even in a place as dark as this, there is still light. You still have a purpose. And what about you? I asked. My question half skeptical and half desperate. But what's your purpose here? He looked straight into my eyes, his gaze burning through me. Perhaps my purpose is you. Another crack sounded from above, and a 
small stream of purple light cascaded into the mountain chamber. Void screamed again as it caught into him. And I looked up, just in time to see the dislodged boulder hurtling down on top of me. At first, I felt nothing. Only a slight, tingling numbness. Everything was dark. But it was a different kind of darkness. Not oppressive like that of Void, but comforting, like a warm blanket. It was how I had originally expected death to feel. Death. My senses began to awaken as feeling crept its way back through my body. I heard the sound of gentle humming, almost song-like, accented with other rhythmic sounding noises. My eyes flickered open, and I was immediately assaulted by a jarring blur of light and distorted color. It was overwhelming, and I quickly clamped my eyelids shut, returning to the now familiar darkness. It was a long while before I ventured another peak. Opening my eyes, slowly, trying not to overload my weak senses again. I was in a white-walled room, laying flat, staring up at the ceiling. Medical equipment surrounded me, each machine actively engaging in the ongoing conversation about specific life signs. I was in a hospital. Light from the setting sun streamed in through the large window, painting a large orange swath across the bottom of the bed. After where I had been, the warmth seemed like heaven. I turned my head slightly. A man in a white overcoat sat in a chair in the corner of the room, marking something down on a clipboard. He looked up and smiled as he saw me stirring. Ah, you're awake. He set the pen and clipboard aside and rose from his seat, walking over to me as he removed his glasses. You're very lucky, you know that. They almost didn't find you in time. I didn't respond, my mind too weary and burdened from my own thoughts to focus on the task of understanding. Well, the doctor said after a brief pause, you're in good hands now, and you'll be up and about in no time. But for now, I'd suggest getting some rest. He turned to check a few of the displays, then, contented, he walked out of the room and closed the door. I was left with my own thoughts, unsure of what to think. I had so many questions. How had I gotten to the hospital? Why had I been spared? Was it all just a drug-induced dream, or was any part of it real? I turned my head slightly to the right, and I saw it. There, sitting all by itself on the nearly empty bed tray beside me, was a shiny white crystal. The object Kip had given me to help me forget had become my main source of remembrance. Then it was all true. More questions erupted and quickly flooded my struggling mind. Who was the white soul? Was what he said true? I wasn't sure if I would ever have an answer for those, but they still haunted me. 
I tried to push the endless questions to the back of my mind and focus on the basics. For better or worse, I had been given a second chance. What would I do with it? I wasn't sure. But I would have plenty of time to figure that out. For now, I just wanted to lay there, soaking in the glorious golden sunlight. Prison Break was written, directed, and produced by Richard C. Mills. Narrated and performed by Davis Harrison. Music was written and produced by Knights Amore, with additional music by Alexander John Erickson.